know situations. Some of you may be sitting there and you've got the envelope and you, and you, you have your offering in your hand. Some of us may have already put it in the box on your way in. Uh, some people have possibly already contributed online. Uh, and I know there may be people here as well who uh, have a willing heart and want to give, but you don't have that amount exactly right now, but you feel like you'd like to give a certain amount and maybe you'll give it incrementally over a period of time. And I just want to say all those things are fine. They're all okay. Um, no one way is better than the other. Um, uh, for example, um, myself and, and, and Jackie, we had an interesting um, opportunity this week where we got together and we've been, been both talking and, and just praying and saying, well, okay, well, God, what's, what, what do we feel that we can give? You know, the Bible's big on attitude with giving, and I talk about this all the time. Uh, and, and the more I look at this, I've gone back recently because I want to do a few weeks on tithing, and I've been prepping the church for a while now about that. Uh, the reason I'm prepping you about that is, number one, um, it's got nothing to do with what we're going through here. This is something that God spoke to me about a long time before this, and I started talking about that because uh, the Bible has a lot to do with that. I, my personal preference is I would love to not mention money in church at all. I don't like talking about money because I don't like the image that we have, particularly in the West, that the church is after your money. All they want is your money. Uh, I don't want your money. I don't care about your money. Um, you work hard for your money. Uh, your money and that business side of your world is between you and God. But God has been speaking to me and saying to me, I'm doing a disservice to the body of Christ if I don't teach on this because it's a biblical thing. You know, uh, depending on what statistics you look at, between 15 to 40% of what Jesus talked about was money. Why did he talk about it? Well, because he realised the human attachment to money, that it's so important to us and we're so driven by it, the, the, the desire to gain it and to get it and the desire to have control over it. And, and for us, money is freedom, and money is opportunity and money means the more money I have, the more I can do and so on. And there's an element of, of truth about some of that. But there's a way in which we have money and we don't allow money to have us. So in the coming weeks, a bit further down the track, I'm going to teach a little bit on tithing and giving so let's get into the Bible. That's what the Bible says, not what I think or what my preference is. What does the Bible actually teach about this stuff? That's what we come here for. So I'm going to get into that in a few <coughs> weeks' uh, time. But one thing that I do know already now is that from Old Testament through to New Testament, attitude is a really, really, really big part of offerings. And we're going to have a look this morning. If you've got a Bible there, turn to Exodus uh, chapter 35 for me. And I want to have a look at uh, an offering that Moses took up to build the the tent it was basically a tent where god decided that he would allow his presence to come and he would allow it to be a contact point for people so i'm going to go there in a second and have a look at that but i just want to say this week me and jackie we sat down and uh we connected and i said to jackie what are you feeling now what with a generous heart and a good heart and a good attitude and so what do you feel on your heart that we should be should give and and she said to me what do you think alan being the the head of my little clan what do you think and i my first response was to do what i would normally do which is now what do you think because if because secretly if your figure is less than mine I'll, I'll come down to yours and we'll we'll run with that one which is just me being honest with you this is how i was thinking but i thought no no i won't do that i'll, I'll take the leadership here and so i told her i feel this bah. and she started to well up in tears and she said oh my goodness she said that's exactly what i was thinking too so we're one of those people that are sitting here going, we don't have that amount right now. But I do believe that as we step out in faith and make that commitment to God, it's not a pledge to, to people, it's a pledge be, between us and God that we're going to contribute this. I believe when we make those decisions, if God's in it, that it's amazing what God can do and how God will bring provision and God will, will do things. I'm thinking about my own life and my own journey with God and, and finances and 
You know, uh, when I when I first got uh, became a Christian at, at 19 years of age, and six months later was felt like God said to go and join this crazy youth organisation called Youth of the Mission. And I remember not having a cent, not having any money whatsoever. I didn't have uh, money in my background or a her- inheritance coming my way or nothing. But I remember at the time, just very clearly, God spoke to me through a lobster. I was in a Chinese restaurant in Coffs Harbour and a lobster spoke to me. Um, and I don't mean his mouth, it wasn't like that, but he was in a tank. And I just remember looking at this lobster and clear as a bell. There's only a couple of times I could say, clearly, unequivocally, God spoke with a, with a, with a, with a voice inside my head. And this was one of those moments. And he said, I want you to go join this organisation. So I began the process and I, I remember two weeks out from it. And back then, of course, was $1,950. I still remember it. And not having a cent. But I'd made the commitment to God, the decision that, God, you've said this, you've laid this on my heart, I'm going to do this. And I geared my world around that. And I, I did what I could. I'd saved and did all, all my part. But unfortunately, my outgoings were more than my incomings back in those days. I was working at Sunny Brand Chickens out of Byron Bay as an advanced prepared chicken handler, uh, which that, that was my official title, by the way. It literally meant I cut bones out of dead chickens. But advanced prepared chicken handler sounded a lot better on a resume. Um, and when you're talking to people, what do you do? Well, you know, cut bones out of dead chickens. But um, now an advanced prepared chicken handler. And I remember making that commitment. And once I made that commitment and followed through with that, I got a letter in the mail from a man from Sydney who I'd only met... Uh, a few years ago uh, for a very, very brief amount of time. And he said, Alan, I've heard that you've become a Christian. I've heard that um, you believe that God spoke to you to go to this training organisation and here's a cheque for $1,950 to pay for you to go. Now, that only came about because I followed through with a commitment that I felt like God said, even in an environment where I didn't have what he was asking me to do. I didn't have what I needed, the resource to do it, but I followed through anyway. That wasn't the end of it, by the way. I got there to that training school, had an amazing time, learned a lot about God. There was a lot of healing in my heart from my childhood and my background, a lot of things that God did and revealing himself to me as a father and learning to hear his voice and accept his love, accept his grace, uh, understand uh, that, that, you know, what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ, be a contributor, not just a consumer. And, and I learned all these great things. And I remember uh, with outreach, it was, I think it was $2,163 or something was the cost of the airfare. What we would do is, is, is at YWAM, we had good relationship with the um, travel agents there at YWAM. Because they would, they, they didn't understand how it worked, but we would always come through with the money last minute. And so our travel agents would be ringing airlines going, no, look, I, I, look, I don't know how, but it will be here. Wait till the very last minute. They'd always wait till the last minute. And so this was a typical wait for the last minute. And, I, and we were all told by 12 o'clock today, lunchtime today, we're getting in a van, driving down, paying for our tickets. And if you don't have your money, then you can't go on the outreach. Maybe God's got an alternate plan. Maybe you heard him wrong, whatever, but you won't be going. And I, again, was in that situation where, oh, God, I had no money to come here, but you got me here. I've got no money to go to outreach. And every day we would go to the letterbox. It was like a little shrine. We would worship that thing because money came out of that thing, you know. So we'd like an ATM machine before ATM machines were big. And we'd worship this box. And you'd go in after lectures at lunchtime. There'd be no letters in there, and you'd be disappointed. And I remember down to the very last day, we finished lectures. And they said, right, we're about to jump in the bus. Those of you that don't have your money, um, when we from from paying it, we'll, we'll sit down, we can pray and talk about what the alternatives are for you. And I'd all but given up, gone, oh, well, I'm not going there. And I walked out of lectures that day, and I remember I walked up to my little shrine, and I looked inside my little shrine, and there was a, a letter. It was, <gasps> ripped, pulled it out, ripped it open, didn't even look who it was from, I didn't care, I just wanted to see what was inside of it. Ripped open this letter, and when I got it, I pulled out this letter, and there was a letter from a lady that, when I first became a Christian in Ballina at 19, I started attending a little uniting church in Ballina. 
And there was a lady that was part of that church. And I didn't really get to know her that well, but she knew my background and my story and, and had obviously, over the years, had continued to pray for me in my journey with God. Um, and uh, before, sorry, before I came to the Lord, she knew about me and she'd been praying for me. And she sends me this letter and the letter says, How are you, Alan? Da, da, da. I heard that you're, um, uh, you know, gone off to join YWAM. I was talking to someone who was talking to someone who heard that and I heard that this is where you are and what you're doing. Um, I'm down in Adelaide at the moment. I'm going to Bible college. Her marriage had dissolved and uh, she had a few kids and she said um, throughout the whole process of the, the breakdown of my marriage, we sold our house and we got X amount of money for it and, and I decided that it felt like the Lord said to me to give a certain amount of money to each of my kids from the sale of the house and then the Lord spoke to me and said, Alan, you're his kid and he would like me on his behalf to give you a certain amount of money from the sale of my home. It was $2,163. A check for $2,163. There's no way she knew exactly how much that was. There was no way that I had any contact with her. I'd never sent her a newsletter or nothing. I don't know how it happened. But you see, when, when God speaks to us to commit to do something, even my experience, even when we don't have the means, if we trust him, we step out in faith, we acknowledge that before God, we make, make that decision that we're going to do what God calls us to do. Most of what we do, we do for God in faith anyway. How many of you know that when, how many times have you had to step out in life and do something when you felt like you didn't have the talent or the ability, but you knew God said do it? Well, you had to step out and, and, and say something to somebody and you didn't really know whether you, they would listen or you'd have the words or whatever. Well, how many times have you prayed for the sick because you just know that the Lord says pray for those that are sick and you just had this compulsion, I know I've got to pray for you, but you haven't seen the healing yet, you don't know. And so we step out in faith and things follow obedience. And so we're in that situation. So if you're here uh, and God's spoken to you that way and, and maybe you have a, a willing heart and a desire to give more than what you practically have right now, um, between you and God, uh, let me encourage you that that's okay. Uh, what we're doing today is we're beginning that process of taking up that offering. It doesn't mean after today you walk out the door and go, oh, missed it, can't do it, they don't want any more. Look, we'll take um, uh, what we need to get through these first few phases uh, of the building. But um, I just want to say, if you do have it on you, at the end of, the end of church this morning, I'm just going to get us all to stand. I'm going to get the worship guys back. Get everyone to stand, and I just want us to commit this to God. There's a big difference in the Bible between our regular tithes and offerings. The Bible makes a very specific line between the two, tithes and offerings. Tithes are for the general uh, running of the house of God and the priesthood, and there were certain things that the tithes were allocated to. But offerings were taken up uh, for different things in different situations and circumstances right throughout Bible times. And uh, it's no different to, say, a telethon. We, you know, we get the telethon on TV. What are they doing? They're saying, let's take up an offering for this particular organisation. And so for the next six hours, we're going to put rugby league players on the phones and swimmers on the phones. And, and, and Daniel might even jump on a phone there. And, and you can ring up and have a chat with some of these famous people and uh, give you credit card details and so on. So taking up offerings is a common thing throughout the society in which we live and throughout the world. And so it's not a strange thing in a church to go, we're going to take up an offering for such and such. It's fairly biblical and it's fairly normal. Exodus 35, I just want to have a really quick look at a couple of things here. Uh, this is, is the offering for the, the tabernacle. Just a couple of, 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 of things that jumped out at me as I was reading this earlier this week. In verse 5, or in verse 4, starting in verse 4, it says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, everyone say that, willing heart. Whoever's of a willing heart, okay? One of my massive bugbears in, in, in Western Christianity is I hate turning on my TV, and I don't mean to judge and criticise, but I hate turning on my TV at four in the morning and see somebody 
pressuring me to have to send money to them. Uh, pressuring or, or bribing me. If you give X amount of money, I'll put your name on this brick on this wall. If you give more, I'll put your name in gold plate on this wall so that every, all the whole world knows that how generous you've been to us and how much you have given. And don't worry about your left hand and your right hand. They don't need to know what each other's doing, but make sure everybody else's left and right hand knows and we'll stick it up on a, on a plaque on the wall. The Bible's very clear that when we give, we give from a willing heart. There's a reward in heaven for us and on earth when we give with a willing heart. If we can't give with a willing heart, I dare say biblically it's best not to give at all because God doesn't just accept anything we give to him. Okay? Start to finish. God doesn't just accept anything that people give to him. All right? And it's not necessarily about amounts and bigs and littles. It's about attitude. We come and we give to God with a, a willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. You know, when I, when I read that earlier this week, my first thought was, man, Moses, I, I really feel your pain in this one, actually. Can you imagine being Moses and having to stand up before them and say, guys, uh, I'm going to take up an offering from amongst you? Um, I would, if I was Moses, I would have said, well, God, if you want that, you tell them. You go and tell them all. I'm not going to stand up there and tell them. But the picture painted here is that God came to Moses and said, I want you to take up an offering. And uh, so Moses had to get up before these people and he had to mention to them uh, that, uh, you know, I'm giving you an opportunity to contribute and to be a part of something that God's doing. It made me think that what God is presenting to us here is an invitation. I'd like us to look at it as an invitation. You know, invitations are wonderful things because there's no compulsion for you to have to go to that party or not go to that party. That's what makes it an invitation. It's not a demand. You're not being commanded, you have to go to this thing. You have to do that. You're being extended an invitation. And the more I think about this process we're in right now, I think, God, I think that's what you're doing to us. You're extending to us an invitation to be a part of something. You're not making us. You're not telling us we'll be punished if we don't. You're saying, here's an invitation to be a part of something that I'm doing. I remember years and years and years ago, uh, I went down to Sydney with a bunch of friends. We used to go down to Leichhardt Oval. Uh, once a year, we would fly down to Leichhardt Oval and we would go and watch the West Tigers play a game at Leichhardt Oval. Okay, remember the nautical theme? It doesn't take long for football to come out in mine. So we went down to Leichhardt Oval and we're down there and we're watching the rugby league and it was the West Tigers versus the Cowboys. And uh, so we went down there, we flew down there, uh, uh, I think we drove down there actually. I stayed at a friend's place that night, nine o'clock on the, I think it might have been a Monday night game, nine o'clock Monday morning we went to the West Tigers Leagues Club. Um, Now the reason we went there was because they have a hall of fame and memorabilia that goes way back to the Balmain Tigers days, which I was a a supporter of. So at nine o'clock we rocked up to the club, we went in there, uh, we went through the hall of fame, we looked at all the West Tigers memorabilia, they let us go all around the whole place and look at all the photos and everything like that. And then after we'd done that, we came back downstairs, it was around lunchtime, and they said, how, you know, the, the, the people at the front desk, the ladies, they said, so where you come from? We told them we've travelled a long way, we come down here to watch the Tigers play tonight. They said, oh, no worries, here we go. They opened up the pool tables for us so that we didn't have to pay. We played pool all day, didn't have to pay a cent for the pool tables. Uh, about five o'clock, we decided, let's start the trek up the hill to Leichhardt Oval. So we walked out, we start this big trek with, with the, the, the thousands and thousands of fans. We're all walking up the hill together. Then one of my mates decides, oh, I think I need a haircut. So he ducks into a hairdresser's. It's like we're on the way to the football and he goes in. So he's in there getting his hair cut. The lady cutting his hair is complaining because she's going, I just want to get out of here and get to the Tigers game. So we go, no worries, we'll help you. I grabbed a broom. He grabbed a spray bottle. We started sweeping and cleaning the salon for her while he's getting his hair finished. At the end of it, we gave it a quick thing and we went out and she went that way to a car and we kept on walking up with his nice haircut. 
We got up to the grounds, we walked in, we were sitting front row seats right here. I could reach out through the grill and touch Benji Marshall and the players that were playing for the Tigers. They were literally that far in front of us right there because Leichhardt Oval doesn't have great facilities for the teams. They're sitting on plastic chairs like this and we could touch them right there. Game kick off, bang, by the end of the game I was hoarse, my voice was gone. Tigers had won 54-4 to over the Cowboys. One of my mates with me was a Tiger, the other one was a Cowboy, that made it even better. So this guy and me are all cheering and yeah, and this guy over here were punching and making fun of him and everything like that. And, and it was all good times though. At the end of the night we went back down to the, to the club, we followed the thousands of people down the hill back to the West Tigers Leagues Club where they go back and they have a big celebration, a party at the West Tigers. And we're lined up out the, out the front about to go in. There's a big lineup, and they're, you know, getting people to sign in, all that stuff. And the ladies at the desk look around and saw me. And they said, hey, you, your friends, come here. So they called us out of the line. We went up to them, and they pulled us around a little corner, and they said, hey, do you guys want to go upstairs and join the West Tigers in their private team um, awards ceremony right now? Yeah, of course we do. So they escorted us upstairs, opened up this door, we walk into this room, and here it is. Just the team, their immediate families, and they're having their private awards ceremony, their players' player announcement, all that stuff. And we're in this room with the West Tigers, and Tim Sheens was the coach then, and, and I've got photos of, of me with the players and conversations, and we chatted and talked all night with them. And then at the end of the night when we were finished, we went downstairs and got some pizzas, and we were talking about how great the day was. And when the Tigers had finished, they came downstairs and they came looking for us. And some of the boys found us, and they said, oh, we're going out on the town. Do you want to come out with us and kick on with us? And we are like, mm, probably not a good idea. No, <laughs> no, you know, no, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, our night's over. Uh, so anyway, they thanked us and shook hands and they went off and we came home and it was such a fantastic experience. My Cowboys friend said to me on the way home in the car, he said, I've never, ever had such a great experience at the Leagues Club and I figured, well, it must have been good because your team got trounced. So to say it was such a great night, it must have really meant something to you. So I got home to Ballina. I sent an email to the Leagues Club saying, just want to let you know, there's a lot of rubbish going on in rugby league and players doing stupid things and there's a lot of bad press, but I just want to let you know this is what happened. I shared the story. He said, we had a fantastic time. Thank you so much. Then I get a call from the CEO of the club. He rings me up personally on my phone. Hey, I want to thank you so much for the email. And, and, and so this whole process, it's such a fantastic memory in my head. And you know, it all came about because of one thing, because I accepted an invitation. I got an invitation to go upstairs to that room and hang out with these guys. Now, I could have easily said no. Nobody made me go up there. But what happens when we accept invitations? There's usually a blessing. There's usually something good that comes out of accepting an invitation. The the invitations where we're not expecting something good, we generally say, no, I don't want to go to that wedding. No, I'm not going to come to that party. No, I don't want to be in that environment or amongst that company. But one thing uh, about invitations is you don't have to take them up. It's a choice. Invitations are a choice. You know, when you look at this passage here with Moses, the reality of the fact is with this invitation is that the people were not commanded to give. Moses was commanded to take it up. The Israelites were not commanded to give. Moses was commanded to take it up. That's why he came to them and he said, if you've got a willing heart. There's not a commandment. God's not commanding you to have to give to this but he's commanding me to extend the invitation to you to be a part of something that he's doing. I don't want anyone to feel like if you didn't contribute to this that God's going to be mad or angry with you or your world's going to go south and when you walk out of here and kick your toe on a brick, it's the punishment of God upon you. It's not like that. 
But I do want to say to you that when God extends an invitation to us and we say, yes, there is always, always, always a blessing that comes back our way as a result of that as well. But we do it with the right attitude and we do it with a willing heart. If you go further on in that story, you'll see Exodus 35, verse 20 and 21. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. So Moses gathered them together and said, Here's the deal. I'm going to take up this offering and here's what it's for and so on. And then the Bible says that they all departed. So everybody went away and they had plenty of time to think about what they were going to do. That's kind of what we've been doing. We, we started prepping this six weeks ago. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the date. Now go away. Have a think about it. Sit with your, your, yourself. Sit with God. Sit with your family, whoever it is. Process this thing. Have a think about it. So by the time we get here today, we're all doing this with a willingness. We're all doing this with a willing heart. We're doing this with a good attitude because we agree with this thing and we want to be a part of this invitation. In verse 20 and 21, it says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. In other words, not everyone came. Not everybody came. The only ones that came back to contribute to this were those whose hearts were stirred and whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and so on. Not everybody came back. Not everybody came back. But those that came back, came back with the right... Sounds like attitude. Attitude. They came back... Jeez, I tell you what. It does. It sounds like attitude. Not everybody said yes to the invitation that God had given to them. You know, if I had have said no to that invitation, I would never have met those Tigers players. I would not have that memory right now. I would not have been upstairs and had the conversations I had. There's so many things that I wouldn't have as a part of my world now. Had I simply said, all I had to do was say no to that invitation. And many people say no to the invitations of God. How many of you believe that God has thoughts and ideas about how you can be most productive for the kingdom during your time here on earth? How many of you feel like God knows a thing or two about you that maybe you don't know yet? How many of you feel like God sees things in you that maybe right now you don't see? Potential, opportunity, uh, skills, abilities, talents. Things that that he wants to use to bring about uh, a greater sense of his reality here on planet earth in the very, very short drop in a bucket amount of time that we have here. God has thoughts about you and he has ideas about how you can be most productive. But he won't ever make you do the stuff that he's inviting you to do. He'll never force you. So God's invitations are not invitations to do something for God, but they're invitations to participate in something God's already doing. Okay? When God invites us to something, he's not asking us to go and do something for him. What he's doing is he's saying, I'm doing something and I'm inviting you to be a part of what I am doing. We co-labor. Paul says, I'm a co-laborer with God. I'm a co-worker with God. I'm not doing it for God. I do what I do with God. Best way I can describe that is this. I was just looking in the, in the Bible earlier this week. Matthew 16, 18, we have this passage. Jesus says to, to Peter, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. Who's building his church? Who's building the church? God. 
God says, I'll build my church. I will do it. Now, if we jump over to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we've got this thing called the Great Commission. Where all of a sudden, God turns around to a bunch of people and says, I want you to, A, go into every nation on planet Earth, make sure you reach every dialect, tongue, tribal group, make sure that you tell them the good news, that they no longer need to live a life trying to please God, that through Jesus Christ they can be pleasing to God, not because of their effort and what they did, but because of what God did in coming down to earth and becoming like us and extending an invitation so that we can be like him. I want you to go and I want you to pray for those who are sick. I want you to believe that there is is power from heaven, that we can lay our hands on people and that we can pray for them and that God can move through us and that we can see healing come, practical physical healing into people's bodies. I want you to do this. I want you to go and I want you to confront the reality that there is a spiritual dimension out there and the Bible talks about it. It's way back in, 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 I think it's in Ezekiel, talks a bit about that and about the whole fall of Satan and the truth is we believe as Christians there is a realm, of, of a spiritual realm out there that's so intertwined with this human world but a lot of people live as if it doesn't exist but we know it does and we know that there are angels and they are there of God to protect us and look after us and guide us and, and we also know that there are demons that are there to disrupt the flow of God, to disrupt what God wants to do on planet earth to destroy you. The Bible says that the devil hates you. He comes to seek, to kill and to destroy. He's got one agenda for your life and that is to mess it up. We know that God has an agenda that is to give us life in full and abundance and the devil wants to mess that up and downplay that and destroy that. That's his job. So we know these realms exist and in Matthew 28 he also says you know what? Go out there with the authority of heaven and deal with that demonic realm and we have authority to go into situations where the enemy's working and say no more. You can't do this anymore and to push him back we have that authority so jesus on the one hand says i'm doing it i'm building the church i'm going to do it but then he says to a bunch of people but i want you to come on the journey with me i'm going to do it but i'm going to use people i'm going to do what i want to do god is going to do what he wants to do on planet earth like michael was talking in communion there about you know the guy being all upset about the way the world's going and you know what The biggest reality overriding all of that is that God knows and that God is in ultimate control. God is in ultimate control. You know, when, when, uh, when, when, when Trump got elected, God didn't go, what? Hang, hang on. Where's my, where's my? Where's the folder? Bring me the folder, the stats. No, the other one. How'd this happen? How did people? Who's responsible for the? Oh, me. That's right, I'm the ultimate authority. It's okay, I'll learn from it. I'll learn from my mistakes. Won't happen again. I promise you. God knew. Because he's ultimately in control. And so God is doing things on planet Earth and he uses people. He extends an invitation to us. Do we want to be a part of what he's doing? You know, God extended an invitation to an entire nation called Israel. Remember the story? They're all in bondage in Egypt. A man called Moses comes along. Why, God, would you use a man called Moses? You ever think about that? Moses wasn't really a great choice, if you have a look at it. He himself said, I'm not really a great choice. I mean, he back-chatted God about 20 times. God was very gracious. and He was a monarchy. I would have given him a smack on the bottom after about the third... Maybe I wouldn't, I don't know. Maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. Anyway, <laughs> they'll be a better judge of that. 
But the point is this. Why would God, you know, I mean, God is God. Why does God waste his time using people? God, you could have avoided that whole thing. You could have just walked into Egypt yourself and in one foul swoop, killed all the Egyptians, left Israel in Egypt with all the gold and all the silver and all the abundance. That you, you could have left them there and just killed Egypt. Just like that, you're God. But he didn't. He sends in a dude called Moses. Why did God have to use Noah? Why would he invite Noah to be a part of this process of regenerating righteous living on planet? Why would you do that? I mean, you're God. You're God. It's not hard. You could have grabbed a few animals, kept their feet from being wet, pulled a few grains up, fired it and put them back down. You're God. You could do these things, but he doesn't. He invites people to come along for the ride. The whole nation of Israel got an invitation. We're going to go across this river and I've got a land there and it's flowing with milk and honey and it's abundant and it's a great place and I'm going to give it to you. It's already yours. Here it is. That sounds like a pretty awesome invitation to me. But they grumbled, they complained, they had a stinking attitude and in the end, guess what? They missed out. Sometime later, another generation came along. And guess what? Hey, God says, I'll be patient. I don't mind waiting. You guys don't want to accept this invitation. I'll I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll move on. You know, I wonder, and uh, I can't give you a Bible passage or verse about this, but years and years ago, me and Jackie were assistant pastors of another church in Ballina. In those days, they decided they felt that God spoke to them to plant a church here in Lismore. And uh, being associate pastors, we were asked to, we weren't given any authority to run it, but we were asked just every week I'd come up and preach and, and so on. And we would come up and we were meeting literally stone's throw, just around the corner from here in a little hall just there. And they tried to build this church and tried to plant this church, but there was a whole bunch of other sort of things going on at the time. And the church eventually, everybody in that church just kind of disappeared and the church fizzled out and was no more. And every now and then I wonder with this process now that we're a part of, I just wonder in the, in the economy of God somewhere, was there something out of kilt or was there an attitude problem or was there an unwillingness to do what God wanted last time? I don't know. I'm not saying there was, but I'm just saying it's interesting. I find now every time I drive up here to Lismore to think, man, we've been a part of trying to plant a church here and it just didn't work like this before. It just wasn't, didn't seem to take off like things have been taking off here, God. And I don't know what the issue was or problem but was it a timing thing? I don't know. Was there, was, there, was there not people willing to say, yes, I'll accept the invitation? So God patiently goes, well, I'm happy to wait. I don't mind. I'm not on a, on a schedule like you people are, you know? I don't clock on a clock off and I'm not busy and, and got only tiny windows of time. I can do what I want when I want because I want because I'm God. Because I've got all this opportunity and I've got all this time. And so God chooses to use us. He doesn't have to. But he's chosen to use people to do what he wants to do. We're all aware of this, but God knows what he wants to do in your life, but he won't do it apart from you. God won't do anything in your life apart from you. You're a player in what the Lord is doing in your life. The direction that you go, where you're heading, you're a major player in that because God won't make you do stuff. He'll invite you to do it. He'll go ahead of you. He'll empower you. But you still have the opportunity to say no to God's invitations. God knows what he wants to do in our community, but he won't do it apart from people. He does things through people. He uses people to do things. What we have here in Exodus with this whole offering 
is an invitation to participate in what God was already doing. He was building his kingdom here on earth. He is going to build his kingdom here on earth. And he extends invitations to people who are kingdom-minded enough to say, yes, I'll get involved in that. I'll be a part of that. You know, somebody recently asked me a question. It was a really good question. I know I appreciate the person asking me the question. This is what they said to me. They said, why would I want to invest in another church building when I've already done it before? What's so different about this one? I have been unable to shake that question out of my head. That's being honest with you. I've been unable to get that question out of my head because I never, we never took on the church with visions of let's overtake the world and let's get buildings and let's get all, been through building processes before and, and, and have seen how churches can get easily distracted on buildings and bricks and mortar and, and lose sight of why we're here to, to bring the kingdom to earth, to love people, to be an expression of the character and nature of God to the world around us. I've seen that firsthand and we never want to be a part of that. So I've thought about that question ever since that person said it and I've gone to God myself going, well, God, that's a really, really good question. I would love an answer to that, Lord. Why? You know, couldn't we just stay here and then maybe kick them walls out eventually and turn the church that way and have the boxing ring? I'll preach in that. And, you know, can't we, can we do other things? But, but for whatever reason, God has said, no, I want it to be done this way. I think the truth's this. God doesn't probably need another building. Why did God want a tabernacle in the wilderness? He didn't have to have one. He's omniscient, omnipotent. He knows all things and he is everywhere. Why did he want a tent? We don't completely know. Other than a few things that we see in the Bible where God said, I just want a place to meet with my people. I want a practical place where my people can gather together with a worship focal point. And we'll call it the tent. We'll call it the tabernacle. We'll call it the temple. I just want a place where people can come together. You know, I was looking this week on, on uh, doing a bit of research on, uh, if you go back and look at church history, and, you know, there's this big argument about house churches and big churches and little churches, and people have got all ideas about church structure and form and so on. And, uh, you know, one of the oldest house churches uh, that still exists today that they found, I think it was in Rome somewhere, and it's a house, and what happened was the church grew too much, and so the owner of the house actually knocked his own wall out to make it bigger. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Even way, way, way back then when they were meeting in homes, they were still creating bigger and bigger facilities to hold more and more people. This is not a new thing that we do here in the West where we go, this isn't big enough, let's get another place. They've been doing it for centuries since the beginning of church, this kind of stuff has been going on. So God doesn't need tents and God doesn't need buildings. And that's the reality. They're just focal points for us to focus our attention and so on on God. The tent in the wilderness was the same. They came together to offer things up to God, to meet together, to worship together, to be reminded of who it was that carried ultimate authority and power. In reality, all I know is this. What makes it special is that God wants it. It's all I've got. God wants it. God wants it. Three years ago, there was a builder and he had some spare time. Why didn't he have spare time? He's a pretty well-known builder and does a lot of work. For some reason, he found some spare time. For some reason, during that spare time, he decided, hey, look, I've got a property up on Oliver Avenue. I'll send my workers up there and they can build me a shed. Why did they do that? I don't know. For some reason, those workers, many of whom are not Christians, decided, no, let's not just do a shed like we normally do. Let's make this a really nice one. And one of the guys said, yeah, why don't we put glass doors at the front where we put big extra um, things. They've got the picture there, Luke? 
and we'll, 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 we'll do these big thing here. And I'll paint one orange and I'll paint one blue. Let's make it fancy. You go out there, there's no other buildings that look that sort of fancy that stand out like that. Why did he do it? I don't know. And then when they were finished and they were walking away and one of these workers says to the owner, there's another one for your portfolio. Why did he say that? I don't know. When he said that, the owner of the building went, is this all my life has become? And he went home and he sat down with his wife and he said, you know what this worker said? There's another one for our portfolio. Is that what we're here for? Is that what our purpose is in life? Why did he go home and have that conversation with his wife? Why did they talk about that? I don't know. And after they talked about it, they went and drove to that property and they stood there and they prayed over the building. This is about three years ago and they said, Lord, we don't know what you're going to do with this, but what we do know is this, that whatever happens with this building, let it be to your glory and let it be used to build the kingdom of God on earth. And why did they pray that? I don't know. Year and a half, it sits there, a beautiful building like that, and nobody wants to move in it. Nobody wants to move in a growing area like in Alabama. Why? I don't know. And then one day, INC feel like we should get a church going in Ganelaba. Why did they feel that? I don't know. And so they decide, let's get a church going, and they contact the GSAC and find out there's a room here in Ganelaba, and they, let's come here, and they start here. And then they eventually come to us and say, would you pray about being pastors? And we prayed. And why did we say yes? Well, I know that one, because God spoke to us. But why did they ask us? I don't know. And then we said yes, and we're here. And then we start going through what we're doing. The church starts to go. And then people in the church start coming to me going, when are we getting a bigger building? Because we're kind of getting a bit squashy in here and there's more we want to do and we feel like we should be, but we have the space. Why were people saying that to me? I don't know, but they did. And then after a while, I get online and I find this building and here it is and it's this massive building and they're asking for $1,000 a week. And I look at our bank balance and go, we cannot afford that. Why can't we afford it? I don't know. I just know we can't. And so I contact the real estate and I start asking questions and so on and then they keep my details and months later they contact me and go, hey, just want to know what are you thinking about this building? And I said, I don't know. I don't have the money. Uh, not right now. Leave me alone. So they did. And then I went to have a meeting at, 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 in Ballina with a bunch of men because of this men's camp we organised. And you know what? Of all these diligent men who sat there, we organised, we've got to get together and meet, only me and one other person turns up, ruler from church here. Why did the other guys not come? I don't know. But they didn't. And so while we're sitting there, ruler goes to me, well, while it's just you and me, let's talk about a building. We need to get a building. Why did he say that to me? I don't know. So I get up my phone and I go, it's funny you should say, because just so you know, get off my back, I have been looking, bang, 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 and I find this place, and all of a sudden, it's just half of it. And I looked at it, and they're advertising it as a half a building now, and it's about four ninety five a week, and I thought, well, it will be a big faith stretch for us as a church, it will be a faith stretch, but... But we might be able to do it because God loves it. It says in Hebrews eleven six that, that it's impossible to please God without faith, which means if we want to please God, and I do, and I know you do, then we've got to put ourselves in positions where we need to extend faith. Faith. So we put ourselves in a position, so I go, right here, that's wild. I contact the real estate. We back and forth, Jim, Jim, Jim. Eventually, the real estate uh, go, look, are you serious about this? Do you want it? I'm contacting the INC head office. They're going, send me your details. I send them all the details, the paperwork. They're looking at it. They're going, uh, Alan, we can see how much the building, but we can see how much income you guys have as a church. It's not going to work. And I'm back and forth. And in the end, they had to say to them, look, I can only give you facts and figures, ink blotchings on paper. I cannot give you the faith in my heart and the belief that this is the right place for us. I can't quantify that in figures for you. 
Yeah, we know that, but... Ah, why can't you see what I'm seeing? I don't know. I don't know. And guess what? Eventually, the real estate start to come back and forth and the INC guys go, look, okay, okay. Just ask questions. No, can you just keep asking questions. So I ask questions... And eventually the, 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 the real estate lady goes, yep, we'll put a wall down. I said, how long will it take to put a wall down the middle? One week. Wall down the middle will give you half of it for that price. Sweet. Send me through some paperwork to have a look at. And two minutes later, I get a phone call. Phone call two minutes later. And I pick up the phone. Hello. Hi, is this Alan? Yes, are you with the Rise Church? Yes, I am. Hi, just want to let you know that we're the owners of the building and we've got your details from the real estate and we want to have a chat with you. Sweet. Sounds good. When? Tomorrow. Sweet. So I go out and meet them. Cut a long story short because I've shared it before. These guys are Christians. They are believers. They fill us in on the whole story about how the building came about and what they've committed to God and how, what they felt and so on. By the end of the conversation, they're going, we feel this is right. This is God. We want to do this. But you know what? Let's forget the wall down the middle. We'll give you the whole thing for the same price. The four nine. You can have the whole thing. Why did they do that? I don't know. But I'm really glad they did. Really glad. Because if it wasn't for that attitude of them, the faith, the, the eyes with which they could see God wants to do something, we wouldn't be where we are today. So I've mulled over this question for a long time now. Why? Why this building? Why this place? I've shared the story that the very first Sunday we came here, very first Sunday we came up here to... To, to, to take over or take over. Take over, bid. Very first Sunday that we came up, the real pastor stuff in the back of the car, you just never met him, we just put him in the car. He just does the paperwork. Not really. Don't go check on my car. It's all footballs. But the very first Sunday we came here, we drove down the road here past the media centre. Instead of turning right, I felt clearly God said turn left very first Sunday before we'd even come in here and, and started to leave the church officially. I drove left, I stopped on the road in a particular spot. Now I don't do that all the time. I don't do that all the time. Why did I do it that day? I really don't know. In case you're not picking it up yet, there's a lot of things I don't know. I'm not a bundle of knowledge. But what I have learned is this in my life. When God extends an invitation to me, every time without fail. I step up to the plate and say, yes, God. Whether I believe that I'm good enough, whether I believe that I'm the right person, whether I believe that I have enough resource, money, time, whether I feel like I can bring something good to the table, every time I step up at the invitation of God, there has always, without a doubt, been incredible blessing in my life and blessing through me to others. And that's where we are today. I'll get, get um, you guys want to come on back. I just want us to finish with a song this morning. Two weeks ago, I told you at the start of the service, I just got a phone call out of the blue from some people we know. It was at night. A text message. I pick up my phone. There's this text message. Alan, we heard about what you guys are doing and we want to be a part of it. Okay? I'm going to get these pastors contacting me. And I've had other people contacting me going, 
you know what, what we see in this is we feel like God is giving the body an invitation. It's a body thing. We're not, a, we're not an elite church. We're not an elite group of people. We're not the best. We're just a part of the body. And for whatever reason, God wants this part of the body in that place over there. I can't tell you why, unless you haven't picked it up. But I believe with all my heart, all my heart, all my heart, that he wants us there. And that's why, as a family, we are giving, contributing to this. Because I want to be part of this. I want to be able to look back. Who knows what it's going to look like in five years, ten years, twenty years? Who knows? All I do know is there's no church there in that particular location, but there will be. I know there's another 700 homes opening up, most of them within eye view of the church at the top of the hill. I do know that there's going to be a lot of needs. I do know there's going to be a lot of kids. I do know there's going to be single mothers. I do know that there's going to be broken, hurting people. I do know there are going to be people struggling with issues. I do know there are going to be broken relationships. I do know there are going to be a whole bunch of problems. But I also know that we serve God who says, put me in the middle of that stuff. Because that's what I'm here for. I specialise in creating order out of chaos. I specialise in taking messes and cleaning them up. That's what I do. And that's what I am doing. And I choose to do it through my people, the church. Can we all just stand together for a second? I don't know what you're doing in terms of the offering, where your heart is at, but the Bible talks about a willing heart. It talks about being stirred. It said in that passage, they were stirred in their hearts. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to just hold your hands like this for me. You may not have it in your hand. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's in your heart. You know what, what your contribution is. Uh, for me and Jackie, we've grabbed an envelope that's sitting up the back there. We've got an envelope and we've written on that envelope. Not, that, not so that anyone can hold us accountable it's between us and God, but we've written on there. Because that's our little faith step. to say, God, we believe you've said this, we're committing this, we're writing this down. We're not going to be chasing ourselves up over it. <laughs> no, Lydia's going to be chasing us over. We're not chasing people, but we're not even putting a name. We'll just go, this is... Because that's our faith step. That's our application today. We don't have it today to give, but we can do that and commit that to God. I want you to just hold your hands. Imagine you've got in your hand, whatever it is, whether you've given or going to give, whatever. And I just want to pray because I believe there's something significant about what we're doing today. There's something significant about this faith step that we're taking as a community. And I look forward to in 20 years' time, with the pastor from the church then getting up and sharing all the wonderful things that have happened and where God's now taking the church on and what the church is now doing. So Father, we want to thank you this morning, Lord, for... Uh, God, this invitation that you extend to us. God, I thank you uh, as a loving Father that, God, you're not out to rip us off. God, you're not out to, uh, God, elevate one person above another or pat someone on the back because what they gave was great and scold somebody because they're not giving enough. But, God, I do believe that every single one of us has something. Every one of us have something to give. Every one of us have something to contribute. Something that we can give with a willing heart and a good attitude towards this process, Father. And Lord, I thank you that all of us are called and all of us together have been invited 
to this process. If you're a part of this church right now, God, I believe it's because you've called people to be as a part of a Rise Fellowship right now. They're not here by accident, but you've called them here, God. And Father, we come sometimes and we receive from you, we receive from you, God. We hear some teachings from the word, we get encouraged by people as we fellowship and, and gather around and so on. But every now and then there's a moment where you say, okay, now it's your time to contribute something. Maybe something a bit above and beyond your normal contribution. So Father, we thank you for that, God. And Lord, I pray now as we each have our hands held up, God, in, in, God, in symbol of this offering. And uh, Father, we're not giving it to... God, to build an earthly kingdom. But Father, right now, we just release it to you, God. We give it to you. Father, we ask you to bless it. We ask you to multiply it, God. We ask you to do great things with this offering, Father. We ask you to extend the kingdom of God here on earth. And God, we ask that you would use us. Use us, God, in the place that you've put us, Father. God, use us to bring healing, God. Use us to bring deliverance, God. Use us to set people free, God. Use us to show people the heart of their Heavenly Father. God, use us to point people towards the way, the truth, and the life, which is you, Jesus. But God, we would not just say that with our lips, but we'd live that with our lives. We would declare through our lives how great you are. God, how much we love you, how much you mean to us, how important you are to us, God. God, let us uh, be an answer to the situations and the problems we see around us, God. God bless everybody this morning.
God as they leave this place, God's back travels home. I bless them this week and wherever that may be, God. And I find a little forward to meeting again together next Sunday, worshipping you and hearing from your word. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.